Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, another Baseball America playoff podcast. JJ and Kyle here today to talk over Game 7, talk over those world champion Houston Astros. But before we do that, we do want to thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Bowman. Bowman is the official sponsor of our 30 Days of Giveaways contest this November. Each weekday, we are giving away tremendous prizes for your favorite baseball brands. If you go to BaseballAmerica.com right now, you'll see the 30 Days of Giveaway. Click on it. Great giveaway today. There is You can choose if you win for free. You will win an Easton Ghost or Beast Bat, both two awesome bats. You can choose which one you want if you win. But there's going to be great prizes coming up every weekday throughout the entire month. It's kind of a pretty awesome, I wish I could win some of these because they really are cool, cool prizes. But right now, the, uh, the ones who are bringing home uh, the, 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 uh, the ultimate hardware are the Houston Astros. They, uh, they wrapped it up last night, 5-1 win. Game that was probably, I wouldn't say, it was still compelling because the Dodgers had base runners seemingly at all times and seemingly never were able to get any of them in, but it was something where that game, I'll give you credit, Kyle, you predicted what could happen, and I said adamantly on this podcast yesterday, I said, they're not going to let you, Darvish, be in there long enough to blow the game, and I was wrong. Now, I will say, I was right. They should have never let you, Darvish, be in there long enough to blow the game, but they did. I don't know why he faced George Springer the second time, but so he did. And that was obviously to me, I think, I think the biggest mistake because at that point, we've seen George Springer already hit the ball hard off of him. We've seen you, Darvish, struggle through the first inning. And if you go back and listen to the podcast, one of the things we talked about was, look, if he was going well, sure, leave him in. But at the first sign of trouble, you need to yank him, and the Dodgers didn't do that. I do think it was interesting watching just you know the game and also social media reaction. Everyone was all about... See, they should have started Clayton Kershaw. Darvish shouldn't have started, which I thought was ludicrous on a couple of levels. But really, the Dodgers lost for a lot of reasons beyond just that. And I mean, going you mentioned having a lot of runners on base mm-hmm. and not doing anything with them. First inning, bases loaded. Got nothing. Second inning, two on, one out. Got nothing. Third inning, two on, no out. Got nothing. Fifth inning, two on, one out. Got nothing. Sixth inning, Two on, no out. They've got one. They got one. But I mean, you consistently. And that was it. That was it. You consistently leave runners on base over and over and over Lance, and over. Lance you're McCullers not going to hit not, four batters, and did not give up any runs. It's something where so if you're the Dodgers, obviously look, you Darvish pitching him into a hole does not help. At the same time, there were opportunities to get back in the game, make it a little closer, make it more competitive. And they just didn't come through. I mean, you look at this World Series and you can say, okay, you know, where, you know, the Dodgers after 104 wins, people I think are going to look at a lot of the pitching decisions that were made uh, game two and, and into game seven, and that's fair. But at the end of the day, it does come down to the players. They're the ones that have to play. They're the ones that have to make the pitches and come out and make the big hits. And, and in a lot of cases, the Dodgers didn't do that. I mean, they conclude this World Series. Justin Turner hit 160. Cody Bellinger hit 143. Yasiel Puig hit 148. Corey Seager and Chris Taylor both hit 222. I mean, you go back and look, the Astros, aside from George Springer, weren't exactly tearing the cover off the ball either. But at least they're, like, for the most part, consistently in the 200s. They don't have their three, four, five hitters sub 200. Um, and I think for any team, 
when your big guns in the middle of your order aren't hitting. And frankly, outside of Jock Peterson, not many other people are hitting, period. Chris Taylor and Jock Peterson. Right, and Chris Taylor had some big moments, but still 222 over the course of the series. What but, was his dub? But 220, you're giving batting average, which what is his on-base, what is his slugging? Uh, they're going to have to make me look that up even a little further. But I think overall... Because I was going to say, I bet you if you look at his on-base and slugging, I don't it, care he hit 222. <laughs> his on-base, he got on-base, and he drove from the uh, ball for power. That's fair. Uh, looks like 2017, the total postseason... OPS, everything was a little bit higher. And I'll pull up the World Series. Oh, but, yeah. but, but, but the overall point stands, you know, even in the context of last night's game, um, for them to have that many runners on base, I mean, one for 13 in runner with runners in scoring position, 10 You're runners gonna left lose. on Generally, base. Generally, you will lose if that's your stat. So I mean. so on that on that end, um, but, but even, you know, getting off of, okay, this is what the Dodgers did wrong, how about what the Astros did right? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, obviously, George Springer showing the greater world, who guy who's been a, one of the better young players in baseball for years, really showing the world, hey, I'm a star, don't doubt me. Um, Charlie Morton, for him to come out again, four great innings out of the bullpen to finish that. I mean, for the Astros to go out and have a bullpen game, and we talked about, oh, we might see Keiko, we might see Verlander. They didn't need him. Charlie mm-hmm. Morton just shut it down. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy who I talked about at the beginning of the postseason and had a really good year. I had some skepticism on how he'd be, you know, in these big postseason moments. And he wasn't great to start. And then, you know, his NL, his ALDS performance was not good. His first ALCS performance wasn't good. Game 7 has a great, great showing. And then two really good World Series showings. To me, Charlie Morton is a guy who I, I think really, um, I'd say, upped his profile just as, hey, this is what he's capable of doing on this grand stage. And, and that was, I think, one of the more interesting secondary stories of the, of the World Series. But- one thing, uh, Chris Taylor, 222, 344, 407. So, yeah. I'll, which I'll take that. You're no facing question. some of the best pitchers, you know, out right. there. Again, it's it's more on that middle ground of the, the, oh, tur- the Tony Turner, Bellinger, Bellinger, 143, 172, 393. Yeah, you you you, right. you gotta have better than we, that. Justin Turner, 160, 323, 360. Even that, you gotta have better than that. Um, couple things like I, the Clayton Kershaw should have pitched, should have started. I didn't. The thing about it is, is if I'd have seen a massive, com, you know, a lot of comments about that yesterday leading into the game, it'd be one right. thing. It was a very twenty twenty hindsight. It was. It was over. Clayton Kershaw's pitching really well. Why didn't he start? Which is a very different thing than why isn't Clayton Kershaw starting this game? The thing about it is, is as much as I was baffled by the fact that Yu Darvish was allowed to continue pitching in the second inning, but if you if I reverse engineer it back. Considering the Dodgers' inability to get anyone in who got on base, well, not anyone, all but one, get one in. Andre Athier, World Series Game 7 uh, hero for the Dodgers. But because of that, the game was lost before anything, why any logic where you would say, like, again, I was the mister, you get you Darvish up to start the game, and you've got a guy warming up in the pen. That being said, okay, leadoff double, hard hit ball. Next ball is a ball hit that Cody Bellinger, who I love as a defensive first baseman, Cody Bellinger's range got him in trouble there because I don't know. He was it was sub it was suboptimal for him to make that play. He was spinning, the ball was hit basically just to the left of the second baseman. I mean, you know, but but so he makes an error and two, boom. two batters in. They're down two nothing. Or no, three, three three batters, batters in. Three so batters that's, in. so that's, that's, three that's batters one in, nothing. Down two. Then then the next batter comes up. And it's, again, ground ball to the right side, but Bregman stole third, so he scores on it. It's 2 nothing, And at that point, Hugh Darvish has allowed one hard-hit ball. 
there's no scenario, even me who was like Mr. Paul Darvish, there's no scenario where you'd have said, you have to have you out of that game by that point. Well, and, and, and at that point, it's 2 nothing. They never got two runs. And especially, you know, the way he finished it, Carlos Correa, soft grounder, Yasuo Puig, fly out. Or you're, you'll agree, I'll excuse me. I mean... But once you start getting into that second inning, and when you right. say, okay, first of all, the umpire missing strike three on McCann on a one-two count to lead off the inning, really, really, really but reverse again, course. All, but, but again, all this is moot because this that, was runs three, four, five, right. and the Dodgers didn't get run two. And that's and again, and you're right, and that's where again, I think you do have to look at the Dodgers coming back, and you know, it does just come down to. These players on the field have to make the plays. We, I think it's kind of interesting. We have a lot of the armchair managers who analyze managers every move, but the players got to perform. And in this case, the Dodgers did not. And that's just, and it again, happens. Hey, it happens. Bad timing, you, but, but, but it's it happens. Said, they took it to seven games. So it's not right, like... Oh, I'm, I'm talking yeah, about in the context right, of, seven, of right, game seven, but, they didn't perform. But we did also want to talk about, you talked about Charlie Morton. The thing that stands out to me about this is you look at it and... When you ask me about this Astros team and how they did this, the thing that stands out to me, we've talked a little bit on the podcast I think before about this, but the thing that stands out to me more than anything for this, for the Astros, is the Astros as an organization under the Jeff, in the Jeff Lunau era have had a confidence in what they're doing. Some would call it even an arrogance in what they're doing, but you know what? It's not arrogance if it works, and it worked but a confidence in what they're doing. And they simply did not, they were more so than almost any organization I can think of, they did not care how those moves were perceived at the time. And I don't want to, I mean, maybe I'm making too big a, a deal out of this, but the reality of it is, is that that's very hard to do. Teams are, it's hard for teams to completely make every move or most moves where they're not worried about the perception of that move. And you look at the Astros, and you can, if you want to argue that the Astros tanking, and they tanked and they tanked hard, if you want to argue that's bad for the game overall, you can make that argument. Now, I'll say this, that I made this argument at the time when John and I would talk on the podcast, and I'd say, those fans, those Astro fans, when they win, they'll be back. They don't care. Yes, you absolutely have no one coming to the games right now. I think where it you has haven't an effect, lost a generation of fans. I think where it has an effect is on the owner's bottom line when it's three straight years of less fans showing up means less money coming into the team. So I think but, that's but but again, so it takes a little bit of a patience on ownership's part too right. to say, hey, three years we're having massively declining ticket sales, but, merchandise sales. But we the have to make sure there's a that, financial payoff. But the reality of it is, is that even on financial side, it's not a massive one because. Those teams were going to be terrible no matter what they did. The only way you could have made those slightly better would have been to pay for a free agent. Right, but but which, if you if you if you're drawing, you know, not that they were drawing crazy, but if you're drawing 1.9 million and you're then drawing, I think what was it, three million over two years combined, you're, that's less gate revenue you're getting. So, but but again, it was worth it. I agree. No, no, the Astros I'm saying, were already I'm saying losing, even the Astros say reportedly that, were already losing some money. It makes sense where it's like, okay, they, ship out the veteran contracts, go cheap. So in some ways, you're able to mitigate some of that gate loss a little bit. But I do think this was a long-term vision. And I give credit to Jim Crane on the ownership side. I give credit to everyone in the front office, scouting stuff all the way down. As you know, Luno talked about, as much as you have the plan, 
it's not easy watching your team get blown out every day. I mean, they were a joke on Jeopardy. I mean, this was a team that was a punchline, and that does wear on you. It does wear on everyone in the organization. But, and I do think it's a testament to them that they had the fortitude to hold steady, hold through, and you know, not panic and say, or not have anyone on the ownership side come down and say, hey, this, this tank's gone long enough. We need to see results now, as opposed to still being patient enough to let it build. And- and I don't, I don't mean this as basically job security for every GM for the to the end of time. But we've now had, in 2015, the Royals won, and the Royals were a laughing stock, and there was a lot of questions of how does Dayton Moore in this front office get this long? And the reality of it is, is that patience paid off. The Astros, it was less patience because the reality is, is that, you know, when Lunau came in. He basically told him it's going to be rough, and it was rough. But the reality is, is that that 2015 season when they get to the playoffs, very much took the pressure off from the standpoint of yes, like the arrival. Huge. The I arrival can't... of a competitive team happened maybe a year early. But the other thing about it is, is that in the midst of that, you look at the they you know okay they they whiffed they whiffed on Appel. You know, that's that's a well, two of their three number one overall picks didn't work because Aiken. But they, but when you say up, that though, the Brady Aiken into, worked. They, they Brady into, Aiken is a team. It is absolutely true that you are going to get a lot of scorn by not signing the number one pick. But hold on. But yes, you get scorn for that. But that's also that's what's difficult to do. They didn't right, in no, any so way. They did the right thing when I say it didn't work. No, I, I'm soon. not saying I'm not talking to you. I'm saying to the podcast. They did the right thing because the reality is you look at it. They were right on Brady Aiken. Oh, there's no argument Brady against that. Brady Aiken right now is not one of the top 300 prospects in the game. Well, I mean, they said his UCL is going to blow, and guess what? His UCL blew. And it has not come back in the way, like, the reality is, is right now Brady Aiken is, you know, whereas, and by doing that, then that meant, I mean, you want to talk about the seeds of the World Series title, Alex Bregman, right. but it goes beyond that. That also gave them the money, in part, by having two first-round picks like that, that, as the Astros like to do, they spread it around. Daz Cameron was one of the pieces that got them Justin Verlander. So, again, you look at these moves, and the thing about it is, is tweeted us out this morning, and I know you're, you know, this strikes you too. Justin Verlander, acquiring Justin Verlander, in many ways, is the difference. When you win in Game 7 of the World Series, having a guy like Verlander, you know, was a key factor in you oh, winning a World absolutely. Series. But the, Justin Verlander also makes them more likely to come back next year. You know Great what? trade. Yeah, not especially when, yeah, when you consider that Justin Verlander wasn't a, a three-month rental. Uh, I do think that the Astros, you know, this was what they've been building towards. I will say, on the one hand, there's no question over this team and say, yeah, they could absolutely be back, should absolutely be back. But we also know baseball is a fickle game. Oh, Things no, can, they, so. they, they have the opportunity to be back right. because they will be <laughs> one of the best teams in baseball next year. That does not mean they will be back. The I, Chicago Cubs were one of the best teams in baseball this year. They didn't make it back. And, again, I, I do think just focusing on, you know, the right now, I think you look at the Astros, they did a really good job. You know, you look at the roster construction, I think it was only six of the guys on their 25-man World Series roster were technically homegrown. A lot of the prospect depth they dealt from. And, and look, the Astros were a top-10 farm system, BA top-10 farm system, four years in a row. Mm-hmm. A lot of that prospect depth, they, they hit on some of the big ones. They nabbed their five or six big stars, or well, four or five of them, really. And then they were able to trade the rest for other guys who were veterans who helped them win this. And it goes back to that. It's not always about drafting prospects and saying all 
you know, we're going to use 15 or 16 prospects. It's find your five or six best. And if you need to use the rest for trades, go right ahead. And I think the Astros pro scouting department deserves a ton of credit for their ability to go out and make some of those deals and use that prospect that's properly identifying, hey, we need to make sure we hold on to Carlos Correa. We need to make sure we hold on to George Spurman. We need to make sure we hold on to Alex Bregman. Not that they were the hardest decisions in the world. Well, also but also the front office, hey, we're going to sign at Jose Altuve to a massive, at the a time, team, a long, large extension. And, then and saying, now okay, you look at it and say, he's going to make $12.5 million over the next two years. And you look and say, okay, we like Rio Ruiz, we like Mike Fulton, we like these guys, but we do think we can get more from the veteran that we can trade them for. And I think that, and that's not always, you know, there's a lot of teams out there who have the top prospect who, you know, in some cases was a top 10, top 20 pick. And they say, all right, we... We, we, we move them, and it just is not a good process of decision-making. And I think you give the Astros, to me, their pro scouting department, a ton of credit for properly identifying the guys to keep, properly identifying the guys who were movable, and making sure when they did move them, they move them for quality players. Because we see a lot of times cool. prospect for veteran trades. Sometimes there are some teams out there that seemingly just trade a prospect for a veteran without any consideration of who that veteran prospect actually are. <laughs> The other things I would say with that, though, also is, is that you look at it and you say, I also think that the Astros farm system, their player development side, has done an excellent job. I, I think that the Astros hitting uh, development is as good as any out there. Jeff Albert and everyone on the, on the minor league side, I think that you look at it, you know, they, they have had consistent winners. They've had, you know, you look at the, I know Tony DeFrancesca is no longer there, but he, they had a winner at Fresno. Rodney Linares, Omar Lopez, the, Watching all these those guys. Lancaster teams when I was out in the Cali from 2011. The, the 2011 team wasn't any good, but you saw Jose Altuve, you're like, uh, this dude's really freaking good. But once you start getting that 2012, 2013, 2014 group, you just saw the talent come up over and over and over. And a lot of these guys who are on this World Series team, it's funny, all the old Cali broadcasters talk a little bit about it like, hey, we've seen this before. Um, you know, And it was a lot of the same guys. It was McCullers, it was Correa. Uh, when I saw George Springer a lot in 2012, you know, to me, he was the best player in the California League that year, period. I mean, everyone was so excited about Billy he Hamilton. Was the Cal- he was the California Carolina League All-Star uh, MVP. And, and when you watched him on the field that year, all the things he could do, there was no one better. And that was present, and you could say, and he's going to get no, but, better and but better. But the thing about it is, is that, so, but the I, thing with you, that you, about saw, you saw the talent coming up, and, and it, that results in winners at each level. And you mentioned they built it. But the other thing that stands out to me with Springer, again, this is the development that they've had. George Springer... A lot more the, swing and miss, and now it's I remember out. having many a conversation. Yeah. I remember talking to a scout on my way to a game in Greensboro, and we talked about George Springer for probably 20 minutes, and he said, you know, he could be one of the best players of the game. And the thing I really like about him is, is that, at the worst, he's going to be a very useful player because even if he never improves his swing, you know, the swing and miss... The power, the speed, the defense, all those things will play. And even if his, he's a, it's a well-below-average hit tool. At that time, the year you're talking about, he struck out 26% of the time in high A. He goes up to double A the next year and strikes out 29.7% of the time in double A. So 30% strikeout rate. This year in the big leagues, he struck out 17.6% of the time. Again, that's credit to him. But that is also credit. He cut his strikeout rate this year by 6% in the big leagues from last year to this year. I know there's improvement, but the reality of it is, is there is a plan that gets you to that. The Astros 
have gotten to where, partly by players they've acquired, but even players they have who struck out a lot don't strike out as much as they used to. Look, they led made the majors in pretty much every single offensive category while also having the fewest strikeouts. Which is amazing because this same Astros team, just a couple of years ago, you're like, they hit a lot of homers, but man, they strike out. And that was something, I, you know, it's funny. I did this study at my old job in 2015, and I, I would like to go and re-update it now with these two additional seasons of... Uh, of uh, and I think what I thought was really... What I found was interesting was there's always this debate about... Is a strikeout really worse than any other out? And what I found was there's a certain threshold of strikeouts. And at the time, it was 1,399 strikeouts for a team per year. It comes out to roughly eight per game. Once you cross that threshold, it was very, very clear that your offense, even if you had good players, was going to be a bottom of half of the major league's offense. Mm-hmm. And that included, by the way, the 2015 Cubs at the time, who made an NLCS, but if you looked at it, they were in the bottom half of, of runs scored and a lot of offensive categories in the majors. They got there because their pitching staff was second in ERA that year. They were the only ones to have a winning record. Once you got past that certain threshold of strikeouts, it was a direct correlation that, hey, your offense, at a certain point, when you're swinging and missing that much, you're not going to be able to put up the runs you need to win games. I think now, again, I want to go readjust because we've seen a little upping of the strikeout rate in those oh, two yeah. seasons. Oh, um, yeah. But, but I think to the Astros' credit, they realized, I, it always kind of befuddled me a little bit how some of the people are saying, oh, well, you know, it's okay, the strikeout. At a certain point, you do need to put the balls in play. Even the best teams in the majors are making 80 to 100 errors a year. It's 80 to 100 extra base runners. I give the Astros a lot of credit for forcing the issue, making sure that they find the guys that could put the ball in play while also not being slap hitters. There's a lot of power in this lineup. And to me, that's a development of finding, and again, it goes back to pro scouting. That's not to say that every decision the Astros, I mean, I know there's some people listening, it's like, well, what about J.D. Martinez? What about oh, Jonathan no one will ever be that It doesn't mean no that they've done everything right. But at the same time, they've done a lot right, and that's why they're sitting where they are here. And the thing that also does stand out about this to kind of is the Astros and the Dodgers are both teams you look at this Dodgers team, and it is very possible that the best is still yet to come for this Dodgers team. I mean, I know they went to Game 7 of the World Series, but the reality of it is is that you look at this team and you say, okay, we've still got, we're going to still see a very, very strong farm system. I mean, that, that's, it's a top-loaded as far as the Walker Buehlers and the, you know, the they they've got talent coming up. Mitchell White. They've got still a lot of talent in that Dugo, system. Hugo Ruiz. You know, Diaz. I love Ruiz. You, I love Ruiz. Yusnel Diaz is, is a heck of a player. I think not enough people are paying attention to. But so they've got talent. But beyond that, they have Cody Bellinger had a great rookie year. He had a terrible World Series, but he had a great rookie year. Corey Seager is still coming into the prime of his career. Just they don't. Bellinger's twenty two. Seager's twenty three. Right, That's so really, we're going to really be seeing nice those guys for a on. long time. And then, so what? the thing that stands out to me is, is even if Chris Taylor, this was the greatest year Chris Taylor's ever going to have, and maybe it's not, maybe this is, he is like Justin Turner taking it to a new level, and then that level is his new level. But even if we see some degradation from Justin Turner, who is now coming into, you know, like he's hit the peak and now probably should be in the decline phase of his career, modest decline. Even if Chris Taylor can't live up to that again, this team has the horses that you say these guys can be better to go with. And then again, you look at the pitching staff, and 
I think this pitching staff has uh, has the depth to be good for several years to come. There's no question. I mean, I, go back even beyond those two. You know, Yasuo Puig, he's 26. Jock Peterson, who I think really reestablished in the World Series. Hey, I am a guy you should consider moving forward. He's 25. Austin Barnes, who we saw essentially take over the starting catcher role, he's 27. Chris Taylor's 27. I mean, this is a group of guys who are still in that 22 to 27 range that have a lot of good performances ahead of them. And, you know, again, Justin Turner will be 33 next year. I No one should doubt Justin Turner's ability to I'll come out you, and still I'll, be a really I'll, good We have player. seen the best of Justin. He's 33. Players at 33 almost about fail seen, are even, worse than they were at 32. And he, but even if you've seen the best of him, even if he comes down a little yeah. bit, he just goes from being one of the... Oh, I, uh, that's what I'm saying I, is, is I'm saying really that... Good is, player. I'm, what I'm saying is, is that you need guys to be stepping up a little more because it is unrealistic to think that 33-year-old Justin Turner is going to keep getting better. He's, he's in, and it should be modest decline. But the thing about it is, is if he declines modestly and Cody Bellinger takes two steps forward because he'll be 23, that more than cancels each other out. And he's still, again, he's still going to be a good player. I don't think we're going to see Justin Turner crater. Um, again, Alex Wood, by the way, had a great year. He's 26. He's been around for a little bit because he got through the minors really, really quick. But he's still a young guy. Kershaw does have an opt-out coming in his contract. Uh, not this offseason, but following it. And, you know, he's still 29. Been around for a while. Obviously, he's had some back issues. But I don't think anyone in their right mind would doubt Clayton Kershaw's ability to go out and be an elite pitcher. The, the Dodgers are in good shape. Again, we talk about the Astros being a well-built organization that's made a lot of smart moves. The, the, the Dodgers, core of the – I mean, we talk about the core being young. Altuve, Springer, Correa, Bregman, Correa, Bregman right there – I mean, and those are all, for the next two years, all of them, essentially. Springer is not fully cost-controlled, I don't believe. I think he actually will be in arbitration. I don't think, because, you know, but but the, that is a, they're going to be able to afford to keep their core four together. And then around that core four, like, we saw Derek Fisher as a pinch runner in this series. You know, that was essentially his role. Would not surprise me at all if Derek Fisher moves into a larger role going forward. Um, their farm system... I know everyone talks about the bullpen's the thing that they're going to have to fix. The bullpen's the thing they're going to have to fix. The thing I'm kind of be interested to see is, is we saw it this year with Joe Musgrove in the second half of the season, that Joe Musgrove made, became a useful piece in that bullpen. Can he be that? Is that maybe the role that Francis Martez, you know, ends up basically working into? If David Paulino can ever be healthy for, you know, a non-suspended for, you know, more than a week and a half, you know, is, is that a role that... They have guys where you say, okay, you know, they have depth in their farm system. Their farm system is still, it's not as deep as it was. And then we're not even talking about, they've got one of the best pitching prospects in the minor, in the minors in Forrest Whitley as well, who is not that far away. This is also a team that their peak came a little bit earlier. Like if this team had fallen just a little short this year, you'd say, oh, that's okay because really 2018, 2019 could be their peak. You, you, the, the, those peaks come earlier than we think. That's one of the things when I was looking back at these, these wave teams of, of prospects. But at the same time, you do look at these teams and you're like, no, this is not a team that we're going to turn around to next year and say, man, it's glad, good they had that run because they had to dismantle it soon thereafter. Yeah, no, the, look, both. no one should be surprised the Astros and Dodgers are back. I mean, if you were to look at the last four uh, World Series contenders, Cubs, Dodgers, Astros, Indians. If you were to tell me those are the four teams in the ALCS and NLCS you know, playing each other next year, no surprise. I mean, I think all those teams are built to last. We've seen the Yankees come up with this really good wave of young talent. Uh, we have also seen that sometimes everything lines up great and then 
things happen, tragedies happen, oh. life gets away. So I think it's important to really treasure this. And even if the Astros, if this is it, if this is it you know what? Won that World Series, that, that flag flies forever. Um, you know, it's interesting. The Dodgers, it was kind of funny watching it last night. There were, you know, I you know made the point that, hey, look, baseball, sports, they're entertainment. It's important to remember that. The Dodgers put together one of the most entertaining, thrilling seasons that the city of Los Angeles has seen baseball-wise. And by the Angels are in Anaheim, they're not in Los Angeles, so let's get that straight. That the city, the real city of Los Angeles has seen for, again, 30 years. They made to the, they, they overcame all those, you know, NLDS, NLCS postseason demons. They got to the World Series for the first time in 29 years, in the lifetime of a significant number of young fans who have been mm-hmm. know, loving this team for years now. There is not, it hurts, it stings. There's no question about it. But this was an incredible season that I think Los Angelinos should look back on and smile. Um, there was, it was interesting. I, I made that point and I got about, I don't know, a bunch of people seemed to agree with it. And then there were the two or three, you know, F you, you know, this is a participation, tr- participate, participate, wow. Participatory. Participate. I just got, I got wow. Okay. You know, trophy. Um, and this is a, uh, you know, a lot of people that were angry about saying, you know, this, you know, this is a failure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. A failure is you're supposed to be good. You go out and you win 73 games. A failure is you win 104 and get swept out of the NLDS. They took it to seven games. This was a oh, tremendous yeah. season with a lot, a lot of amazing memories and moments. And again, the Dodgers, this was not, this should not be it. This was the peak. Everyone's a free agent after this. They're going to have more chances, um, but you are going to have that National League pennant flag you should and could look back fondly on. And there's nothing you can look at with the Dodgers outside of saying, yeah, this stings right now, and some of our guys did not perform when we needed them to in Game 7. But overall, big picture, it's an amazing, successful season that you know everyone should be proud of that route for the Dodgers. The other thing that does stand out is, is that it has been. It is more in in the twenty first century, especially the twenty teens, with the game getting, the the stars getting younger and younger. It is, I, it is one of the things that. And again, there are downsides to it. It is tanking does help because we we they they changed the rules a little bit to make it a little less advantageous to have the number one pick and the advantage you get from that. But that being said, it is notable that year after year we are seeing teams. We saw the Astros now that basically they won. And again, as you said, it's only six players that are homegrown. But in many ways, this was a homegrown because the lineup was homegrown. Bregman, Springer, Altuve, Correa, all I mean, the, the core guys, the top four year and lineup. Then, You've pieced around that. And you, you traded for you traded two really good pitching prospects, and you brought back your catcher Brian McCann. You know, you you talk about you you added complementary pieces in the outfield. You signed Yuli Gurriel. You signed, you Uli Gurriel, you signed right. Josh Reddick. So both, both to deals. You know, I mean, there's hundred million spent on those guys. Forty-seven and a half uh, to uh, to uh, Gurriel, and I think it was fifty-two to Reddick. So ninety-nine point five million. But no, I think when I looked at um, as as I trashed one of the leads to my stories when I was out there in Houston. One of them was a, the lineup was four four homegrown guys followed by two free agent signings followed by three trade acquisitions. I mean, it was essentially but, how they built it. But so said they. They I do believe built largely through uh, development. 
The Cubs obviously did. Their lineup is very much built around that the Royals did before them. So you are talking about basically... I think it might have been seven home because those four guys, Keuchel, uh, McCullers, and... Uh, um, Sorry, going back. I'm not not Musgrove. Musgrove. Right, and, Musgrove. And, 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 and you have those guys, and then you have the, Fisher. So it might have been that's eight. Whatever it was, it was six to eight. I think it might have been six in the NLCS ALCS roster. But the point is, you're still talking about a team that roughly was, you know, less than a third of their team was homegrown, unless you wanted to count Gurriel as a signing, free agent signing. Right, and then. But you know, that's the overall point. We're getting back to it's not like this was a hey. The entire pitching staff, the entire lineup. Right. I mean, this is what I'm saying. The point being is, is that it really, it really is a case nowadays where you don't buy. I mean, again, because also the other teams have gotten there: the Dodgers, the uh, the Mets, the Indians. The the last. I mean, what it comes down to is, is that it is really hard nowadays with how free agency works. You can you add pieces. You add pieces to your team through free agency. And again, I'm not saying that there's not advantage to being able to have the, uh, the financial wherewithal if you're the Dodgers to spend. The, the Dodgers wrote off mistake after mistake. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And I'm not excusing that that's like, not, that doesn't give them advantage over teams. But the reality of it is, is that the cores of these teams comes down to it's very li- very few of the moves that have made that have gotten teams to the World Series in recent years have been the you know it's not the uh, the Angels announced that they signed Albert Pujols to a you know free agent Albert Pujols to a ten year deal right you That's have to not- build from yeah, right. it's that perfect mix of hey we need that strong group of homegrown talent that can come up and consistently supplement and eventually hopefully if everything works out the way you hope it does becomes those homegrown franchise superstars you add in some pieces through trade you add in some pieces through free agent signings. It all comes together. I think anytime you're relying on only one avenue to procure talent, you're shortchanging yourself. And I think both the Astros and Dodgers have done a nice job of procuring talent through all their available avenues. Internationally, free agent signings, amateur draft. They really have really you know taken advantage of them all. And then again, once they've gotten them in the system, properly identified, okay, here's who we need to keep. Here's the guys we need to keep but have to develop X skill or Y trait. Again, just this doesn't happen by accident. This was a really, really well put together team on both sides, and the Astros, when they put them on the field, they played they played better in Game Seven. Simple as that. You know, we we do uh, we will be now. It's it's the World Series is over. So what we'll be diving into uh, on the podcast going forward is is prospect season. So we have a backlog to catch up to. We like to do a podcast focusing on each and every org. We have already rolled out, if you go to BaseballAmerica.com, we have rolled out the top 10s for all NL East teams already. So we are one-sixth of the way done in the prospect season rankings of the top 10s already. We actually are just finishing up writing the uh, NL Central top 10s. Those will be in the magazine that we're sending out to the publisher today, to the printer today. And so we do want to remind you with that that uh, our top 10 coverage is brought to you by Bowman. With an online subscription to Baseball America, you'll receive insider info and have exclusive access to our top 10s, draft news, and top 100 rankings for anyone else. Visit our online store and click on subscriptions for more details. So you get all that. If you subscribe to Baseball America, online subs are as cheap as $5.50 a month, and you will get, right now, you're sitting there with, you know, when you say scouting reports, it literally thousands if you talk about all that we have there. But right now, we've rolled out already the top 10s for five teams in the NL East. We'll be rolling on the Central 
then to the West. We'll get to the Dodgers before too long. Um, but our next podcast, we'll be coming back with, we will probably start it off with the Braves coming up, So, uh, which will be a fun one because t- talking about teams, I know that there's a lot going on right there that is, uh, that is not good because there's obviously an investigation going on, and we don't even know the full after effects. It may be... It's very possible that the top 10 in the prospect, the top 30 in the prospect handbook will be missing a couple of guys that we wrote about because we don't know what the penalties will be for the violations that it appears that the Braves did do in their uh, violation of uh, baseball rules. That said, it's one of the deepest, best farm systems in baseball and one that's going to be very interesting to see. They're a team that has kind of gone through that rebuilding process and they've done it a little differently. They've emph- they have hitters. Ronald Acuna, Austin Riley is a good top of that uh but they are, there's a lot more pitching there than there have been in the Astros rebuild or the uh, Cubs rebuild or even the Royals rebuild. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works. But we'll be back for that uh, on our next podcast. For Kyle, I'm JJ. We thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to pre-order your 2018 Prospect Handbook and Almanac for the upcoming season. Visit BaseballAmerica.com and click on Store to Order. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.